0: Thanks boys. Well, that's good. I could get used to that. How are we tonight? Good. That's good. It's great to be gathered. Hey, the this baptismal services this morning, there was just something very, very special about those and uh, it was exciting to be a part of that. We had one lady, couldn't speak English at all. She came to faith only a couple of weeks ago. How awesome to baptise her. I mean. Uh, It was just brilliant. It was just so, so good. So um, yeah, let's be praying for those people. Let's be asking God to anoint them and cover them and protect them. They're going to come up against a lot of opposition in the coming days, weeks and months. And uh, we want to see them not just as people who've been baptised, not just as people who've come into the faith. We want to see them grown into disciplined followers of Christ. We want to see them going on and multiplying, bringing other people uh, into the kingdom as well. Well, this evening we're going to be looking at James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. It's only five verses, five very short verses. But it's incredible what can be contained within these verses if we take the time just to scratch beneath the surface and have a bit of a look. So tonight's passage is covering those who have this presumptuous attitude when it comes to what they're going to do into the future. Their plans, their purposes, what they believe they should be doing and James addresses those people who again are saying that they're Christians but you know they say that they're following and being obedient to Christ and everything like that and they're making these plans for the future and they're not even considering God in the midst of that they're not even considering pausing and asking him about whether they should do that or even if what they're doing is God's will and James has wanted to draw to our attention or the readers of this letter that the future and all of its outcomes are in God's hands. He ultimately is in control. He calls us to account and he wants us to be aware, this is James, that if we don't humbly acknowledge God's ultimate control over the future and our part in that, we sin. It's that simple. That's what James has said in here. And the call is to live our lives in obedience to God with a view that all our plans, all our purposes, our entire future when we consider them, should be considered with God in mind. Let's just pause and pray. Father God, thank you we can be in this place tonight. Thank you for your presence with us, not only here, Lord, but all throughout our weeks. And Lord, tonight we come and we just ask that you'll be here now, that we will hear your voice, that we will respond to you, that you will reveal the truth of your word to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we think about the culture that we're presently living in, it's pretty arrogant, really. It seems that we're surrounded by people who are full of their own self-importance. But when you think about what is happening around them, you can sort of understand it too. We encourage people to boast about their achievements. We encourage people to boast about how they got ahead. We encourage people to boast about how they climbed the corporate ladder. In fact, we have whole conferences where these people can boast about how they did it and encourage other people to do the same thing. That's the culture that we've developed. And so we have all these people who talk about how they were the best at what they were doing, uh, how they should have been the obvious choice for a certain position, task, or role that they uh, potentially could have had. And it seems that the culture we live in likes it. It seems that we applaud it. In fact, we give awards to people who do those types of things. And those who talk in such a way express pride in who they are what they've achieved and yet when we look towards scripture it seems to be that God hates that attitude. He hates pride. Proverbs 8.13 says exactly that, I hate pride. Proverbs 16.5 says the Lord detests the proud. 1 Peter 5.5 says God opposes the proud and the passage we read last week in James, James 4.6 says God opposes the proud. So out of this passage tonight, the bit that we've just read, the first thing I want to look at is our boasting, the attitude of boasting. The very fact that Scripture calls out pride and tells us that God hates it should cause each one of us to pause and ask, Lord, is there some of this in me? Do I have some of this attitude? Do my actions and attitudes reflect ungodly pride? And I've got to be honest, I've been there You've heard me say it, I was an outstanding auctioneer. I was very, very good. I had a guy said I was set to be the best auctioneer in Australia, and yeah, I thought I was gonna do that for life. Someone had other plans. I wasn't listening to him, so he let my business crash and burn. No one can explain why. Now I'm a pastor. I should've listened, hey, maybe I could've auctioned and it as well. Who knows? But you know, sorry? Amen? Yeah. <laughs> Mm, No, not going there. My wife will kill me. But the question is, you know, we need to explore that attitude. Is there anything that we actually boast in which is not of God? Is there any attitude within us where we puff ourselves up, where we want people to notice who we are? And there's one thing we have a habit of doing, which is a way of boasting. It's making myself better than others. And it's where we say, I would never do that. None of you have ever done that. Hey, I'm just the only one guilty of that. Is that right? Yeah. So you know, and and so we have these attitudes, and we just accept them. We don't think about what it actually means and the consequences of it. And James says in four thirteen, "Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit." And it's really interesting when we dig a little below the surface. And uh, Pastor Darrell offered his library and all his commentaries. If anyone that was the deal, wasn't it this morning? Anyone could come and use your commentaries anytime they wanted. It was something like that anyway. So feel free to contact Pastor Darrell and use his commentaries. But when we dig below the surface a little bit, we learn some about um, what was actually originally written. And this is one of those cases where it's really interesting because when James says, come now, you who say, who's got an NIV? It says, now listen, doesn't it? Yeah, so this is an abrupt term. This is something that's quite in your face. And it's only used twice in Scripture, and both times by James here and then in James 5 1. And he's basically saying, Come on, you guys, seriously? He's really calling them out on it. Are you guys for real? Are you really going to make plans about what you are going to do? How you are going to achieve it? All that you're going to do in the 12 months? And you're going to do that without even consulting God? You're not even going to include him in your plan? Really? You can't be serious. And that's the attitude that James has actually got here. He calls them out. He's saying, you are arrogant. And James tells them straight out. You have no control over your life. You don't even know if you're going to be alive next year. You don't know what's going to happen. Now, the problem here is not about the decision to go and make money. I know many Christian people who have sought God in their business plans, have honoured and glorified him, have given phenomenal, phenomenal offerings and tithes and made millions because they continue to offer God everything to God and accept that it's him and his purposes. So that happens. But it's this attitude of heart. So it's not about making money. It's about doing so based on your own wisdom. The confidence is not in God and his plans and purposes and his calling upon your life. The confidence is in you, your own abilities, your own strength. And we should not be presuming to be successful based on that alone. We shouldn't think that we can get it all together just like I did with my auctioneering business and think it was going to be a success. The world's my oyster. Ended up just being the shell, didn't it? So if we say we're following Christ, if we are truly disciples, if that's what we say, we should never make plans apart from him without including him, without asking him. When we do, then the focus shifts. You know, the focus becomes more about the success of the enterprise, more about the profits that we will make, more about, you know, how we are going to achieve what we want to do. And the driving force and the passion to move forward has nothing to do with God because he was never part of it anyway. And the type of thinking that's expressed here is something that Amos mentions in chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, Listen to this. When the new moon is over when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deals deceitfully with false balances. These guys aren't offering aren't honouring the Sabbath at all. They just want the Sabbath to be over so that they can make more money and not to even do it honestly their focus has shifted from God and honoring him to just making money you can see that they're tampering with the scales and things like this here they're dealing deceitfully but it's all about the money these merchants weren't honoring God they wanted to make more money and they were doing so dishonestly and it's pretty hard to argue that what they were doing was by the grace of God, that this business was set up for him and so they were making money because God was blessing and honouring them. Um, think about Luke twelve sixteen to 21 too, the uh, parable of the rich fool who had the abundance and he decided to tear down his barns and build larger barns so he could take life easy and just basically relax and live the good life. What happens? God demands his soul of him that very night. He doesn't get to enjoy any of it. And again, James isn't, about, isn't against people making money or even having the desire or planning to make money. But what he's saying is, it's not an attitude of self-sufficiency. It's not about you and what you can do. It's about God's call on your life, where he's drawing you to and including him in what you wanna do. It's about God. It's not about yourself. It's not about focusing on your own strengths, abilities, and talents. It's about focusing on him and what he wants you to do. And so this is what James is talking about. It's about people who boast in their accomplishments, their plans, and all that they're going to do. These people are people who seek the attention and approval of men. They're doing what they're doing so others will notice. And that attitude is spoken about here. Uh, Sorry, that attitude is spoken about, it's a similar attitude as to what's spoken about in uh, Matthew 6 2 as well, where those who come to give to the needy, they sound, sorry, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And I think the NIV says their reward in full or something similar. They did what they did in order to be seen and recognized by others. And they've received everything they're going to do. There is no eternal benefit, there is no eternal gain and there's no value in what they did. The glory they sought was glory for themselves. It wasn't glory they were seeking for God. And the attitude that God wants in his servants is an attitude that lives to please him. My life is no longer about me and what I can gain. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus. I've put to death my old self. That's what happens symbolically in the baptisms today. We put to death our old selves. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And if that is the case, that's what people should see. Not my arrogance, not my pride, not my boasting. When we boast, when we make plans without considering God, it's like God doesn't even exist. It's like he doesn't even have a role in our life. We just push him to the side. If he's not considered, how can we say we follow him? How can we say we're his disciples? And the crazy thing is, we say things like this all the time. And we actually don't have a problem with it. And in our context, it actually doesn't sound arrogant at all. I had a bit of a conversation with Tim this week by the keyboard Tim told me that it looks like he's going to Harvey Bay. How arrogant. I mean, seriously, can you believe that? It's ridiculous. You laugh because it seems weird, doesn't it? Praise God, because Tim did say, it's up to God, it's in his hands, whatever happens will happen. That's the correct attitude. I wasn't gonna give you that bit because it ruined a good story. you know, we, we don't actually think about that. When someone says, I'm going off to this town for 12 months, I've got this position in this place, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that, we're like, oh, okay, no worries. James is saying that's arrogant. If you haven't considered God in the midst of that, why would you even go? Don't do it. But we don't think that way, do we? The person who's told us, that they're moving, that they're going to this place well they're just stating some facts about what's happening in their life it's not that big a deal we don't think it's arrogant but James is saying we can't do that God has to be worshipped above all he has to be included in all things it's all about God being in total control being sovereign over all what we need to realise is that is the fact God is overall. He has ultimate control over what will and won't happen. Think again of that rich man back in Luke twelve. He thought he was going to be set up for life. He thought he had the world at his feet. And his soul was demanded of him that night. And James emphasizes this in 414 to 16. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Do you notice that little bit in there we skip over? If we live. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And James wants everyone reading this letter to think about how they're living. And the call again is for us to say, well, God is. Is this me? Is there any of this attitude in my life? Is there part of my life that this could apply to? Do I have a habit of trusting in my own strengths and abilities and not including you in my plans? Is that me, Lord? And James is saying, the way you're living right now, it's arrogant. It's boasting. You're bragging about what you're going to do tomorrow tomorrow. And you haven't even thought about whether God wants you to do that or not. You haven't asked him or included him. And the question comes back to who controls our lives. James is saying or bringing to our attention, do you even realise the very next breath you take is out of your hands? That is in God's hands. He makes that decision. And I'm not one of these people who want to scare others, but who knows if we're all going to walk out of here tonight? Who knows if we're going to live? We don't. Our lives are in God's hands, 100%. Our life is but a mist. Think of a steaming kettle. You turn it off and the steam just dissipates and disappears. Has anyone ever seen that flash paper that magicians use? It's pretty awesome. You just hold it above a flame and everything's gone. No smoke, nothing. It just disappears, 100%. That's our lives. It's just gone. In the big scheme of things we're a momentary flash and what we should be saying is Lord if you allow me to live if you give me that next breath what do you want me to do you and me together God what are we going to do said it before say it again it's no longer about me I no longer live it is Christ who lives in me he's either Lord of my life as in all of my life or he's not Lord at all he can't be Lord if he's only Lord of part of your life he needs to be Lord of all and so As Lord of our life, we need to submit to him. And the submission is not a one-off thing. James 4.15 says, Instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. And we have to have this attitude. Each and every day, it's no longer about me. When I wake up, it should be you and me the Lord, together, Lord. What are we going to do? I should want to spend time with God. I should want to dig into his word. I should want to pray. I should want to seek his purposes for my life that day. He is Lord of my life. And we talked about life groups and that uh, before, about how important that is. Man, life groups are just so incredible. I've been fed so much in my life from life groups. And we had this guy in our life group back in my former church. And this is a guy who we we often post up Facebook posts from a few years ago. It's like, hey, Tom, are you coming to church? And he's like, nah, man, I'm going to stay at home and watch this on TV or whatever. And this guy, he was just so not into... Yeah, you know Tom, don't you? Yeah. He was just so not into church. And this guy got into life group. He got people who challenged him week in, week out about praying for divine appointments and things like that. And he started thinking, this is real. I should actually be doing this. I should actually be living this out. This is the guy who now, if he came up to you in church, because he does this, and he said, how's your week gone? And you said, oh man, I missed my quiet time on Tuesday. He goes, well, what did you do on Tuesday, man? You weren't serving God. How could you... Have have your day laid out before you if you didn't know what God wanted to do you've got to read your Bible every day and this guy was a warflower prior to that he wouldn't say boo to anyone and the power of God in him. I mean that sounds really harsh but you couldn't come across any oh who came to my ordination oh okay just Pastor Darrell the guy that led the service that was Tom that's the guy I'm talking about and he's just got this love of God now and he's, he is very compassionate and, and welcoming to people and he encourages them in the faith. But if, you're a, if you say you're a Christian and you're not reading your word, man, he slams you and it's good. It's good because he, he spurred all these people on to a greater faith because he knows now you can't do that. You can't say you're living for God and then not include him. You've got to have him as part of your life. So submitting him is about not how much of Holy Spirit I have, But how much of him, how much of me, he has? You know, people talk about being full of Holy Spirit. It's not about that. How much are you willing to give him? How much of yourself are you willing to sacrifice? Jesus gave it all. And he's calling us to do the same. Rather than saying, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow. This is what I'm going to do next week, next month, next year. It's about asking God, what would you have me to do tomorrow? What would you have me to do next week? Next month, next year. Now I'm not ruling out five-year plans. I think it's good to pray and ask God what he wants you to do. I would not have gone to Bible college if it wasn't a long-term plan. I would have just tried to do each day. But God said, this is where I want you to go. This is what I want you to do. And so that was the long-term plan for me. And uh, I didn't know being a pastor was at the end of that, but this is where we ended up. And again, it was in God's hands. So James calls us back to the Lordship of Christ. It has to be the Lordship of Christ. James calls us to examine ourselves. Are we submitted to God and his will for our lives? Or are we comparing ourselves to others? We just have this terrible habit of doing that. I have that habit of doing that as well. You know, even when you get called out, you say, man, that was pretty boastful, that was pretty arrogant. Well, you should have heard what he said. And again, what I said before, you know, I would never do that. It's one of those judgment calls. We've got to stop doing that. We've got to think about our relationship with God and forget about the relationship with each other. You know, when we compare ourselves to a holy, righteous God, we are nothing. And yet, he steps into our life. He wants us. He wants to use us. He wants us to be a part of his greater plan. That's the way we should look at our relationships, not this way. So do we look at others and point the finger at them, say they're arrogant, that they're not really living for Jesus? And blind ourselves to our own arrogance and judgmental attitude in the process. And our attitude should be one of total submission to God. No trust in our own strength, abilities and experiences. When it isn't, then we're living out what James says in 16. When we boast in our arrogance, we're boasting in an evil manner. Let's be willing to ask the question. Lord, am I really submitted to your will? Ask that question. And then James mentions this right at the end. This is interesting. James really wants us to think about God's will in our lives, and he comes to this and he says, Oops. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. When we think about sin, you know, we have this habit of classifying it. Have you ever done that? I do. Oh, gee, that was really bad. This is not so bad. It's all the same in God's eyes. Sin is sin. We fall short of the mark. And, you know, we say that some sins are much worse than others and those types of things. But in most cases, we have this habit of thinking that sin is doing the things that God has prohibited. You know, he's got all these rules, the Ten Commandments, wasn't it? And then those 600 and whatever other rules that the Jews had. And, you know, we follow those. And if we don't live up to those, then we've broken those. And that's sin. That seems to be the way that we think about sin. But the sin that James is talking about here is one that we often overlook. We actually don't even think of this as sin. He says that if we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, we sin. And this is huge. This is something that most of us don't want to confront. This is something most of us don't want to think about. If we're really surrendered to God, if we really call Jesus our Lord and Saviour, we need to think about this. God has each of us here for a purpose and a reason. I believe that. He has a purpose and a reason for each and every follower of Jesus. You're unique. Praise God for that. I would be very scared if I ran into another Charlie. Very scared. But we're all different and unique for a reason and a purpose. You are shaped in a certain way. You will serve God in a certain way that I cannot possibly do. And part of our discipleship, part of becoming more and more like Jesus is submitting to him. I really do hope we agree with that. And then if we submit to him, we need to realize and admit he has you here for a reason. He has you here at SDBC for a reason. And we need to ask him, what do you want me to do? What? reason am I here for and when we make that step when we acknowledge that then when we look through scripture when Holy Spirit challenges us and calls us to apply what we've read what we've heard what has spoken to us if we did that what would it look like If our lives were lives that were completely submitted to God, what would that look like? Would we see greater unity here? Would we be on our knees when we prayed? Would we be genuinely broken for the things that break God's heart? Would we have people who we have to hold back so we can pray for them before they go out to the community, talk about Jesus because they are so passionate about wanting to tell people about Jesus. They can't be held back. They can't be restrained. Would that be the case if we were totally sold out for Jesus? You guys, it's so good they sit together, isn't it? you got your lives before you. Who knows how long they're going to be? But you're trying to work out what you're going to do with your life. And in the midst of that, are you saying, God, I'm so confused. You know, the guys, the other guys here, the guys here, they're not going to know what they're going to do until about 30, hey. The girls, they seem to get it a lot quicker. But, you know, are you including God in what you're asking? He's like, Lord, this is what I think you're telling me to do. Are you a part of that? Is this you? If it's not you, Lord, shut it down. Don't let me go there. Don't let me do it. We need to be asking God. You know, we heard back in Scripture, you know, he who lacks wisdom, ask God, he'll give it to you. You guys need wisdom. I'm not saying you're dumb, but, you know, you really do need wisdom. And you need God's wisdom in the midst of what you're doing. Let's face it, you go to college and it's like four years, six years, even longer if you specialize. Is that really what God wants you to do? And if it is, praise God. I'm not saying don't go to uni, I'm saying not do this, not do that. But wouldn't it be awesome to get to the end of it? And all the way through, you've been able to say, this was God, this was God, this was God, this was God. And when you get to the end, you're not even worried about what's going to happen. You're not even worried about getting a job because God brought you to that point. He's going to let the next thing happen. I'm waiting, Lord. This was all you. And you just step straight into what God has planned for you for your entire life. Wouldn't that be awesome? It'd be good to have a neon sign pointing that way too, wouldn't it? He doesn't work that way. He used to just give me a little bit of light just in front of my foot so I could take the next step. But the thing that James has made clear here, what he's wanted to point out is, if you've thought through what we've said, if you've realised that your life would be different or you know something God has been calling you to, you need to take action. You need to do that tonight. You need to do that because if you don't, You're sinning. It's what it says. And you know, the incredible thing is we worship this gracious, incredible, forgiving God. And he wants to welcome you back. You know, there's times he's called me to do things. I've told you about the guy in the wheelchair that God told me to go up and pray for. I didn't know the dude. I was in the middle of a shopping center for crying out loud. And God said, go up, pray for this man, pray for his healing. I didn't do it. I thought God was nuts. You know, I had to come back. I had to ask for his forgiveness. Who knows what would have happened? I mean, that guy might have jumped up and ran out of that place. That's not up to me. That's up to God. Maybe the guy would have stayed in the wheelchair for the rest of his life and thought I was crazy. That's irrelevant. It's about being obedient to God. It's about doing what he calls us to do. And if he's called you to do something and you haven't done it, you need to deal with that. You need to ask his forgiveness. And we have this gracious God who's just going to welcome you back. He's going to say, I forgive you. He's going to teach you to hear his voice. He's gonna allow you to have that confidence. You've heard Thurindu say, you know, pray for that thirty seconds of boldness that it takes to speak about Jesus. And he'll give that to you. Speak to Thurindu now. He might be down to five seconds now. Just give me five seconds of boldness. That's all I need now, God. Who knows? But he's doing it and he's seeing God do great things as a result. So if you don't do the good that God tells you to do, you're sinning. We don't think of sin that way, do we? We think of sin as being giving into temptation, like I said back in James 1. But James is saying this is a sin of neglect. When God shows you the right thing to do and you do not do it, you're sinning. And as we've been working through James, the whole book, everything is a call to action. We're not to sit and listen. We're to put everything that we learn into action. He's given us this moment, right now. Do we know what's going to happen tomorrow? I've got no idea. Are we going to surrender ourselves afresh to him? Are we going to say tonight, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I know you're Lord of tomorrow as well. You're the Lord of my life. You're the Lord of tomorrow. I can trust you. Are we willing to surrender to him tonight? Are you going to take the life that he is offering, a life that is within his will, and are you going to live that out each and every day? Or are we going to continue in rebellion? Are we going to keep wanting to go our own way and do our own thing? The choice is ultimately ours. This week, can I ask you, When you pray, pray about the plans that you have for your life, for your family, for your home, your business, and the church. We should be praying for the church. What do you believe God would have SDBC be? And don't get up and run away. Stop and listen. What is God going to say in the midst of that? When you read your word after that and He speaks to you, write it down. What's He think about what you're praying? What's he saying to you? We also heard the value of looking back over what God has done. Can you do that this week? Think about where you are in life right now. How did you get to where you are? Can you see God's hand all the way through that? I know when we struggle, we have a tendency to do that. And it's amazing how we do see God's hand. Even when we've messed up, we look back and we see that he allowed things to happen so we would be drawn back to him. For those of you who have an uncertain future or who are trying to work that out, can I encourage you, get a few Christian men or women around you, people you can trust to pray with you about your future, what God is calling you to do. And then whatever they tell you, check it against Scripture. If it lines up with Scripture and it's similar to what God has been saying to you, go with it. If in doubt, Come and see the pastors. We'd love to work through stuff with you, but seek counsel from Christians, friends. And finally, I want to dare you to do what God's calling you to do. Some people have been nudged continuously to take a step of faith. It could be a little step. It could be a huge step. I don't know. I'm daring you tonight just to do what God's calling you to do. If that means coming down the front for prayer, you're not going to find any judgment down here. I say it again and again. This is about you and God, and we can pray and celebrate that you've realized you've got to take that step. I'd love to pray with you after the service. But again, it's in each of our hands, isn't it? No one can force you to do what you should do. No one can force you to be obedient to God. It's up to you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your presence with us tonight. I thank you for your love that you pour out upon us so freely. And Lord, we mess up. And that's not good. Lord, we we would love to get things right. I'd love it if, when we gave our life to you, you just took us to glory, and we had no more troubles, we had no more struggles, we had no more heartache, we had no more pain, we had no more sin. But Lord, we're in the here and now, and so Lord, we throw ourselves before you again. I I want to intercede for these people here, Lord. We have got it wrong. I've got it wrong. And we ask for your forgiveness, Lord. We ask for a greater sensitivity to Holy Spirit and his promptings. We want to see the good things that you have planned for each and every one of us in our lives, Lord. Will you allow us to walk in those things? Will you allow us to be obedient to you? And Lord, when we mess up, help us not to fall away from you. Help us to come back to you and ask for your forgiveness again and again and again so we can stay in fellowship and relationship with you. Father, turn this place around as we get more serious about our faith with you. Give us lives that reflect you and your son, Lord, because we want to be so in tune with you. And Lord, tonight, as you've spoken to us, help us to be bold enough to take that step. If people need to come forward for prayer, let them do that, Lord. And let us just be encouraged in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: E Amém came